This is Love, Recovery, and Rock and Roll, a podcast about addiction recovery from both the substance users as well as their loved ones. Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Chris. And we wanted to let you know we do have a website. You can check it out at loverecoveryrr.com. There you'll find our episodes as well as a little bit about us, a resources page that has links to things that we find very helpful in recovery, as well as finding addiction support, and also other blogs and posts and things like that. So check it out, loverecoveryrr.com. And today's episode, uh, we've got a guest with us today. Okay, I use your name. Yeah. Okay, this is Isaac Shepard. We uh, actually went to the same treatment facility. He came into residential just after I left, but we actually uh, met up in IOP, intensive outpatient, and uh, both of us completed our treatments there. And so gotten to know this young man quite a bit over the last year. And um, if it's all right, I'd like to just call you a friend at this point. Yeah, totally. We've, uh, you know, you spend a year in a processing group together. You kind of get to know each other a little bit. Welcome, Isaac. Thank you. And I think uh, we really, I just wanted to get Isaac in here. Um, He's going to be moving back home here pretty soon. And I wanted to get his story down and talk a little bit about what brought him to treatment. If this was his first time in treatment and, uh, you know, what, what he's doing this time through his recovery that is different from past experiences. So, Isaac, if you want to kick it off, you have any questions for us before we fire out? Okay. No. Go ahead. Okay. So, I'm from Anchorage or Wasilla, Alaska. I did opiates for 10 years. Uh, I started when I was 14 and I had knee surgery from football. I tore my ACL, MCL, my meniscus. I was raised in a good family. Like uh, my dad, I found out when I was 21, he's in recovery. He never told me my whole life. So I always thought me being an addict, because my parents always told me drugs and alcohol are bad. I thought I was the black sheep for a long time. And um, I never knew how to come out and tell him that I've tried all these different things, which now I wish he did tell me a little earlier. So I didn't have those feelings. My addiction started with uh, knee surgery. I got prescribed opiates, and that was what started the opiate cravings. I feel like the doctor in the beginning overprescribed me, and my mom would go to work, and my dad would be on the oil rig. So they would both be gone and leave the medications with me. And I didn't know that you could abuse them at that time. So I'd take one, and I was like, oh, that feel good. So... I would take another and then I'd go to sleep feeling good. That just felt like the peace that has always been missing out of me. Because in elementary school, I got bullied for years. It was like three years I got bullied. So I always felt like I was different. I couldn't fit into crowds. I couldn't relate to people. But once I found the opiates, that's when I felt at home. That went on for... I had that prescription and it lasted probably, it was like a month and a half. And then I went and seen the doctor again. He re-upped them. So I just had that keep going for a few months. And by the time that I got off of them, he's like, there's, you're done. And I was sick. So I didn't know I was sick then. I just knew I felt like that piece was gone again. And 
I had friends in school because I started like bringing them to school and getting other people to use with me. So they they had other people that they could go through their older brothers, cousins, and so that's how I started going through their um, different outlets. And at this time, my parents didn't know uh, that I was taking more than I was prescribed. When you say at school, where where were you at in school? At that time, I was in middle school. Okay. And so I, I kind of hung out with the bad crowd. Now that I look at it, it was the bad crowd. And I wasn't into sports at that time. Once I got into high school, I got into sports. I started using the actual opiate heroin. Mm-hmm. And that lasted. I would steal from my parents to support my addiction I would literally steal anything that wasn't bolted down. Even if it was bolted down, I would try to get it, um, which that lasted all through high school. And they still didn't know. They just thought some like neighborhood kid was stealing from them. Once I turned 18, I got a job on the oil rig. That supported my addiction, basically all, only my addiction. I couldn't afford my phone bill, house. My parents were having to help me, which they're asking me, how is this possible when you're making this kind of money? Because my dad worked up there and he knew what I was getting paid. One time, uh, I went to go park my truck when I went to go do my shift. Uh, my mom found uh, used tin foil, lighters, tutors, and she called me crying, bawling. Was like, what's this? Because uh, she's never been exposed to that, so she didn't know. I tried to come up with a lie, and the lie that I gave was not sufficient. After that lie, my mom, she had a good suspicion of what it was. Um, She called my cousin over that is in recovery, and he looked at it and told her what it was. He didn't know if it was either pills or the heroin. And after she got that confirmation from him, I came home thinking everything's smoothed over. And it wasn't. My mom's like, you can't, we're not going to support you anymore. Everything's cut off unless you go to treatment. That was my initial treatment when I was 20. At that time, I was like, I haven't even bought my first legal alcohol, which I was still in that party phase, 20. I I wanted to experience that. I didn't tell them that. I just said, I'm ready. Alcohol's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Opiates are. So I went, to, I flew to treatment in California I went to Palm Desert, California, and I was out there for nine months, and I was doing excellent. Um, I flew home. After that nine months, I did residential. Yeah, after 90 days, I went to the sober living, which that was another nine months, which I, I didn't complete. I left early against administrative advice told my parents I got kicked out because I was ready to come home. But I didn't tell them that I left on my will. I let, I forgot the excuse that I gave them. But I flew home after living in my truck for a couple days in California. I drove it to Washington, shipped it back to Alaska, and then I went back to my normal life. I started working on the oil rig, came home, didn't miss a beat. I was just back to what I knew what to do. I started hanging out with old friends. I did everything that you're not supposed to do. I went, yeah, hung out with old friends, old neighborhoods. 
I hid that for a couple more months. And then my mom's like, you're, you're done again. I mean, we can't keep going down the same path. And she's like, okay, this time we're going to send you back to California. Cause that's what my insurance would take. And you're going to get, you're not going to be able to come back unless you get a year. And I was like, well, looks like I'm living in California. That's not possible for me. So I got shipped. I didn't tell him that. I'm st- <laughs> That's my new home. I have no doubt you left that out. <laughs> yeah. So I flew back to California. I always had reservations in my head where I would tell myself, I'm going to get a year and then I'm going to go again just to please my parents, which I couldn't even get close to a year. I, my second time, I got, it was about two months and... Nothing out of the ordinary to make me relapse. It was, I was just hanging out with what they call the losers in the group. Not, I wasn't picking the winners at that point. And I left after two months against administrative advice. I was still in residential. And then I was living in on friends' couches and telling my parents that I was still in treatment, which was really hard because I couldn't use my phone. And I was using the same phone for two months. And then all of a sudden I'm calling them off of a different one. And then that's a red flag to my parents. And then they finally find out because I start going back to my old behaviors, not calling them, not engaging in conversations, always asking for money. Because at that point I didn't have a job. I couldn't even support myself, let alone holding a, a steady job. So... She calls me and she's like, we know, we called the treatment center. You need to go again. You still have the insurance. Let's use it while you have it. And I'm like, okay. So I go to another one. At this point, it's my third. And I'm in this one and they really did try. They tried so hard to keep me. And I was relapsing. And I knew that the punishment, like you had two freebies. And then the second one, you get sent to this low bottom treatment. So I'm relapsing in the sober living and they send me to this place called the rock, which the name suits it. It is rock bottom for a treatment center. Yeah. You go in, they take all your clothes. They give you like scrubs like jail. And at this point I hadn't been to jail. So I didn't know that experience and you have to get in the showers before you go in. If you're hiding anything, you had no TV time all day. You had to be in your bed or by your bed, like in a surrounding event. It sucked. Um, I was there for, it was a week and a half. It was to learn my lesson, which I didn't. That just started it. I was relapsing in there. I don't know Mm -hmm. how the guys brought it in, but I was. For me, I'll find any way possible to use. And then I got out of there. They thought I was clean. And I wasn't, so I went back to the treatment center, and I peed for them, and I got immediately kicked out. And the staff was all crying and wanting me to stay, because they liked me. I have a good personality, and I connect with people. But I I just did not know how to stop, because all growing up, since I was 14, that's all I knew how to do, was to get loaded lie, cheat, steal, uh, manipulate any situation, even talking about the weather I'd lie about. 
after that treatment, my insurance lapped because of one of the treatment centers I was in. They weren't giving me my mail. So I had to start up a new plan through the insurance, which that could take up to a month and a half. And my mom was just devastated because she didn't want me to like keep living there, not in treatment, but she knew I, I couldn't come home. So I did, I stayed in California. And once the insurance kicked back in after, during that time period, it was like a month and a half. It was just using and I never been homeless at that point until the next treatment. I went in, I only lasted five to seven days after waiting this whole period. And my mom's like, we, this is crazy. We cannot keep doing this. This is the definition of insanity is what we're experiencing right now. So at that point, I packed my bags because I knew the, the outcome. And I lived on my friend's couch for, it was like a week. And then that only lasts so long. And he's like, you need to get out. So me and this other guy I knew from treatment just went out and lived literally on the street, which I never thought it'd get to that point where I had literally the clothes on my back. I'm stealing from like places like the DI to get new clothes out back at after hours when people would drop off. I just never thought I would go to that point. And I called my mom again. My my mom and dad have saved me countless times. And I told her I'm ready, knowing I wasn't. So I go back into another treatment and I last it was like a week and a half. I was never really suicidal. I just didn't care if I lived or died, which looking back on it now is like totally crazy because the life I have now is like a complete 180 from what I used to be like. So I go back into that treatment for, it was like a week and a half and I met a crowd of people and we all left and went and relapsed for a while, went back into a treatment again. And then I met a girl. We kicked it off. She was from Louisiana. I liked the accent. <laughs> and I hit the road again. At this point, I had the big bright idea to start selling, which now it's like I was absolutely insane. That lasted seven months. I was living out of hotel rooms every 30 days, switching hotels and living with this girl. We didn't get along at this point and it was just a use fest. She was using me and I was using her. That's all I knew how to do, uh, no matter the situation. At this point, I'm selling out of the Motel 6, which I'm blacklisted from now, which is a, a savior looking out for me. But... um. I was selling out of there and I get arrested. I sell to an undercover cop and it, that was like a TV show. The way that that whole situation played out, I went and sold to him. And then on my way back to the car, cars start moving all weird, not leaving the parking spot that they're in, but like situating themselves. And I walk into the store, get a drink, come back out get in my car 
And then I leave. And as I'm pulling out of my parking spot, like 35 cops come rolling in, guns drawn because they thought I had a gun. And I'm getting thrown around. Just the, I guess the demeanor I had on. I don't know now, but I guess I looked bad. I saw the pictures. You did look bad. (laughs) Yeah. I'll show you after. But I get swarmed and I didn't have like emotion then. I just was like, if this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. So I go in to Theo Lacey in California, which I'm from Alaska, like a small town. So going into a jail in a big city is like crazy. Like the population in the jails, like in my town. <laughs> it's, it was crazy. How old were you? Uh, I was 24. Okay. Yeah. And I go in complete shock. That's another TV show, like locked up abroad. That's what it felt like. <laughs> and I walk in and I'm trying to put this demeanor on, like I'm a tough guy, which looking back at it, the guys surrounding me were way tougher. But I had to do that at the time. So I go in. I couldn't fathom calling my mom. She thinks I'm in treatment because I was doing good for a little bit. And I left. So this entire seven months you were out of treatment, out selling. She thought you were in treatment. Yeah. Poor mother. Yeah. She's a good mom, though. Yeah. Sounds like it. Sorry. Go ahead. I just when you said that, I just realized she thought you were in treatment for seven months. And then to have me call from jail telling her what my charges were, I couldn't do that. So I was like, I'm just going to toughen up. I'm going to stick it out. Uh, This is my first time, so they should let me out Um, after my hearing, which that wasn't the case. They they frown upon you selling the cops. They were like, you're going to do some time. You've had run-ins with the cops before, which I just had simple possessions. And there's just sign and release. And then you had to go to court. I'll get into that later. But I had to put on this tough guy face. And that place was so dilapidated. On the doors to the cells, it said maximum capacity of 19 people. I'm in there with like 35 people, just shoulder to shoulder. And this kid beside me is like, we're going to get eaten alive in here. And I'm like, speak for yourself. That's not going to happen to me. And then... Once we go in, water's like running down the walls because the pipe's broken. It felt like locked up abroad. This goes on for like a week. And then I get a slip saying I have a visitor, which I knew that the girl I was with in that hotel, she wasn't going to come visit me because I had the ride. So I get that slip and I go into like the visiting room, which is like windows And you sit down at a little table and you speak through a phone, a pay phone. And it's my mom and my sister on the other side of the glass. And they are like in complete tears. At that point, I had super long hair. I was like super, I wasn't taking care of myself at all. And my mom's crying, looking at me. And she's like, she doesn't pick up the phone. She lets me pick it up first. And I'm just like sitting there looking at that. And she's like, this is, she finally picks up and she's like, this is crazy. I never thought I'd see my son in this position, knowing what my charges are now, because she looked me up on court view. She said she'd check it every week. 
So she thought I was doing bad, but she couldn't put two and two together that I was. So, yeah, she finally found out. And then I was like thinking in my head, not like this is a bad situation. Mine was, so are you getting me out? That was my first question. And my mom's like, since you asked me that? No. Like that was your first thought. She's like, you haven't learned enough. Soak it up some more. She's like, we're going to be staying here for two weeks. So hopefully by that time you get it. She's like, want me to learn because I'm hard headed. So I'm sitting in there thinking and thinking. And I thought I, I found it. I was like, I'm done. Like, this is crazy. And that she came to bail me out. And then they didn't want to bail me out because I'm from out of state. Because I was a flight risk. So finding someone to get me was really hard. So she did like all this research and finally found this guy that would. So I get bailed out. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And on my way out of the jail. At that time I was like I'm completely done. I'm a different person. I don't want that life for me. Jail's I'm not cut out for jail. And... When I'm in the holding cell to get released, this guy had uh, meth in his cut in a pocket that he made, and the cops didn't find it. So he's like wanting me to use with him before I'm even like I'm one door away from freedom, and the temptation was already there. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. And then he gets like three other people to do it, and he's like, are you sure? And once he asked that, are you sure? Yeah, I'm in. I don't know how to stop. And then I get out. And then my mom's like, I'm going to take you to the sober living since you're clean. Which I wasn't because I just used it in that holding cell. She's like, I'm going to take you to the street or the sober living. It's a really good place, which it was. And she drives me there the next morning after staying with her in the hotel. And I had my mom convinced that girl I was with was clean. So she let her come over to the room. I ended up using with her in the room. And they take us back to the sober living. Or take me to the sober living. And I couldn't pee for them. Well, I mean, I could. But what the outcome was not going to be good for my living situation. So I ended up leaving on foot out back. Out the back doors. And having my mom call me. After she thinks I'm so ready to change. Now it's like, I can't even fathom doing that. But in my sick mind, then I was, did not know how to stop. I mean, I'll go to any length to use. And going through all those treatment centers, I met numerous people that I could, I always left a back door open. Like if I needed to go use, I had that option. And my mom drives by me and she's going to the airport. And then she's like, call me when you're actually ready, which that went on for another five months. And I went back to the, my old routine, living in hotel rooms, um, selling. And towards the end, I got scared to do that because I, I knew what my charges were and I didn't want them to get any worse. So I stopped that and I got it, those possession charges, which 
I missed the court dates on. I'd go to my my sa- the sales and trafficking charges in court, and then I missed the possession ones. So I had two warrants out for my arrest, which having two possessions and the sales and trafficking does not look good when you're going against the judge and the DA. And I called my lawyer and I was like, I think I have two warrants because I went to the front desk to ask when they were. And they said that you have two warrants. And then he's like, don't turn yourself in. We'll ask for forgiveness. He's like, just know that this isn't going to look good on you, which I'd go to court and I'd be falling asleep in the audience and having the cops wake me up because I couldn't, I'd, I'd have to wake up and use, which yeah, those didn't look good when I was going against the judge. And he knew every time that I went to treatment because I turned in all these paperworks, which I shouldn't have because it, it showed I went to 14 at that time. And he's like, your track record is not good. I don't even know. Like, I don't know what would be the best option for you. Me putting you away for three years because that's what my minimum was, was three years. Or giving you probation and actually letting you try this one more last time. That went on for a year and a half. I had to keep flying to California to go to, to see him. At this time, I flew back for Christmas. And I told my mom... I skipped a part. Is that bad? No, that's fine. Okay. When I was living out of those hel- the rooms, the hotel rooms, one day, it was crazy, I woke up. And I just was sick of my life. I mean, I did not want to live the life I have been living the last 10 years. So I called my mom one morning and I was like, I'm ready. And she's like, Isaac, do you realize how many times you've said this? And I was like, no, I mean, countless. I know that countless, but I don't know the exact number. And then she's like, well, let's see, sleep on it and then call me tomorrow. She didn't answer the next day. She wanted me to think on it some more. And I called her the third day. And she's like, this is the most effort you've put into your recovery. Was you actually remembering to call me and actually wanting to talk to me? Uh, She's like, okay, so I'm going to buy you a plane ticket. Because at that time, my insurance lapsed again. You're going to come home and stay with the family for... It was like a week or something till the insurance kicked back in. And I was all gung-ho for it. I woke woke the girl I was with up and told her I was leaving. I went to go get ice from the ice machine. And she locked the door and was like, you're not coming back in. So I had nothing besides the car keys that I had. And um, my mom told me to drive my car and put it in storage. So I put it in storage and flew home. And my parents bought me another spare change of clothes because I had nothing. And I I still did not know how to stop. I my parents have a security system on their house, like alarms if you open any doors or windows. And I know a way around it. They changed the passcodes, but I know one door or not one door, one window that didn't have it. And it's like super high up where no one would try to go through and it's super skinny. I, I did. I mean, I'll go to any length and it was like a 15 foot drop, but I didn't care. Climbed out. My dad's truck was on the outside. I had the keys to it. I took it out of the, off the counter and I stole his truck 
and I didn't ha- I didn't take my phone. I I went to my my dealer that I had for years growing up, and he's like, "Oh, it's been a while," because at that time it was like three years. And I told him like everything, and then he's wanting me to get stuff for him in California and fly it back. And I was like, "That is not going to happening. That is not happening." I I live in a small town, so I'm driving by the gas station in my dad's truck. And my mom and dad are posted up at the gas station waiting to see if I'll drive by. And I did. That was actually the first time my dad's like ever really laid hands on me, which I deserved it. I, I asked for it, basically. He opened the door and just started swinging, which I earned it. And my mom took a picture of me and was just like, I've never seen her cry like that. And she's like, this is the last time I'm going to see my son. Like, you're literally killing yourself. Which, I I mean, I was, I looked like I was on my deathbed. I That's when I went and I was like, I just don't know how to stop. Which, that was honestly like coming from the heart. Like, I did not know how to physically stop. So, my mom's like, you can stay wherever you're staying at until you can go to treatment. Which, this time, she's like, you're not going back to California. Because I told her, I'll do anything. Like, whatever you said, I'll do. Which is just what landed me in Utah. I told her I'd do anything. If it took me standing on my head, I'll do it. And so I go stay with that guy that I was with for, like, that week. And she calls me. She picks me up at that at his house and drives me to the airport. And... Me and my dad had to fly back to go to court. So I went to court. The judge granted me to come to Utah. And that was what started my journey on actually sobriety. I mean, at that point, I really wanted it. And I'd do whatever it took to get out of that state of mind. Because I knew I didn't have much longer if I kept going that way. Because I would choose to use than eat. I didn't eat for months at a time, literally just like a bag of Skittles. And so the judge granted me it. Me and my dad got my car out of storage and drove from California to Utah. And my dad had, he said he'd saw something different in my eye when we were driving. He was scared to get out of the car on that road trip to go get, he would have me go get the stuff because he knows my track record. I'll, I just didn't care. I'd probably leave him if I had the opportunity to. And I get to turning point. That was January 22nd. And I stuck it through. I mean, I went in and I was totally willing. I went to the group the next day. I went to every group, didn't miss it. I didn't, my insurance, I, I told myself when I went in, that I would do whatever my entrance would allow me to. So I did, I think it was 55 days in the house. And then they didn't want to cover day treatment. So I went to IOP and I told myself I'd do as long as I had. And at that point, the judge sentenced me to, it was a year in treatment, which when he told me that, I was like, I can't fathom that. A year is just ridiculous. Yeah, I talked to Dennis and other therapists at the house. 
I told them how to do a year in a program, which they're like, that's crazy. At that point, I wasn't even thinking of aftercare. So I told them a year and they're like, well, we don't offer that length of treatment. We have aftercare, but the treatment part is not that long. So I talked to the judge and he, he granted the do as long as I could with my insurance and do the aftercare for the, re- the remainder, which I go to that every Wednesday. I mean, I haven't missed one, which is completely opposite of what my old actions were. Because I'd be looking for any excuse to leave, to just flake out on any situation. What moment really stuck for you that made you, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to take rehab seriously. I'm going to stick it through. Was there anything prior to that? I mean, you had, you know, 14 rehab experiences, nothing really stayed. What moment or what, what went through your mind that said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really going to do it this time. It was when my mom took that picture of me just seeing her face. And I've never seen her cry like that. Like I've made my mom cry countless times, but this one was like, so real and raw and I don't know how to explain it but just seeing like my mom still has that picture and I mean I have pictures on my phone but they do not compare to that one I just me and my dad had that altercation it just was bad and that's what made the turn I mean I just seeing my mom like that knowing how I looked how I felt at that moment which is weird because I never had any really feelings until that. I mean, I don't know what snapped in me to make me actually start feeling, which it wasn't long that I felt during that altercation, but I just knew I wanted something different for my life. This was not how I was raised. I was raised by good parents, good morals, um, which I had none at that point. I never was really around that until I chose that path for myself. My dad's a hard worker. My mom is a hard worker too. After I told him the year I got all that granted, I just was like, I can't think about a year right now. I just got to think day by day by day. Cause if I think too far ahead, that just sounds crazy for me. So I did all the aftercares treatment. And then my parents for graduating IOP, they sent, they were like, you want to come home for a week? And I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know, my track record, right? She's like, well, there's this thing called the Vivitrol, which it hurts. I mean, but it's worth it. Because that's the the shot form, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I take the shot form. I still do. I got granted 18 months through my insurance. So I'm going to soak that up as long as I can. Knowing, like I knew about Vivitrol through all those treatments, but I never would tell my mom or even hint the idea of that because I knew it was in your system for 30 days and you can't use. So I didn't want to give her that opportunity. And then once she came to me with it, I was like, sure. I mean, I'll do anything, like I said. And now I've been on it for 14 months. 13 months. I mean, it's saved my life, honestly, which I, I hardly have cravings because it helps with cravings. Mm-hmm. How's your relationship with your parents and family now? Oh, now it's complete 180. I tell my mom if I'm having a bad day, which never would have happened before. 
if I would have told her, it'd be to be an excuse to do bad or do something wrong. But now, I mean, I can call them, talk to them about my situation day by day. It's just completely different. It's now not, it used to be parent to child. Now it's like adult to an adult, which I always dreamed of that to happen. It never, I never gave it the chance to do it. What are the next steps for you? Like, what are your goals? What's, what's your future looking like? I'm going to keep on a routine, which I am a routine person. I do the same thing usually every day, if not something close to it. So I'm going to keep, I go to three meetings a week, which I, I'm going to keep on that. And these are AA meetings or other? One of them's the aftercare. And okay. I go to two AAs okay. a week. Just a reminder. Sure. I'm going to do that. Uh, for me, I had to get out of my head. So I like to go hiking, caving. I, this summer, I found so many things that I like to do. Yeah, we went rope swinging, cliff diving caving, hiking, fishing, snowboarding. I just have to get out into nature, out of my head, into some clean air. Just It's just so relaxing. I learned this summer that I had to do, and I'm going to have to build new friends when I go back because my old friends are users. I'm going to delete my Facebook just for a little bit, just so I can get in my routine. I just don't want to have that back door basically because they can still contact you mm -hmm. even though you're not friends with them stay close with my family because they're always out doing stuff that i like to do like all those i named and yeah build a support group there i mean i have a super support group here which has been hard being by myself out here but it just shows if you want it you can do it it's gonna feel good to go home I've I've dreamed for the last four years of going back home just to what I knew before I started becoming an addict. It's freeing. I mean, even though I have a PO, I have all these stuff over my head. It I don't feel like it's over my head because I just feel at peace. I mean, I've never been at peace in my life. I've always been fighting for something, like using to get out of a situation. Now I don't do that. I just feel so free. And one thing that, and I've shared this with you before, I really admire your recovery for the fact that you've done it so far from home. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, I have a great support group within my family and close friends around me. And, you know, I've also built the recovery community, which is an amazing piece of my family. But for you to come in here and know you didn't know anybody and you worked it. You're still working it. You built quite a community yourself. I mean, I see the people you run with and they're all people that are also in recovery mm -hmm. and you know, you've, you've done a great job of building yourself a network here. So I commend you for it, brother. And I'm, I'm proud of you. It's, it's amazing what you've done. Thank you. So I have one final question for you. If you could give advice to somebody that had been in your position multiple times in and out of rehab, troubles with the law, what would you give them? I mean, just not to let it drag you down. I mean, it's it'd be easy to just have a pity party and 
say, like I've always heard horror stories of P.O.s. My P.O. is awesome. He tells me cool spots to go, like places to go fishing. So, I mean, like I've always heard that being a drag for people, which I don't see it as that. To keep going, even though when it's it's, it's going to get hard, but just know those bad days are going to end. I mean, it's not going to last forever. Those days that feel like it is going to last forever. To keep building a support around you so you can, if you have a bad day, talk to those people. Build a relationship back with your family. That's going to feel like it's never going to come back to what it was, but it does. It's just time builds trust. Yeah, get like for me, I had to get out into nature. So find whatever makes you feel free and a clear head. Which, I mean, there's tons of outlets. There's working out. FTR, that's a good support system. Meditation. Meditation. <laughs> it's not for me, but... <laughs> it is for some. I know. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only one. No, they've been saying it in aftercare. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just finding your outlet where you're going to feel at peace, which it, it took a long time, but just consistency. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story we wish you the best. Keep in touch. I will. Yeah, for sure, brother. Yeah. It's been great getting to know you. You know I love you. You're a good man. And uh, just keep working hard. Will do. Right. Thanks, Isaac. Thank you. So Chris picked this song for this episode, and I'm going to ask him to introduce it and why he picked it. I chose Homeward Bound by Simon and Garfunkel. Because my man Isaac has been working so hard to head back home to the mighty Alaska. So we wish you the best, Isaac, and we hope you make it home soon. And take a listen to one of my favorite songs. It's a pretty good song. It's pretty good, I guess. Maybe one day we should actually sing it and do our own version. Mm. Are you going to be Simon or am I going to be Simon? Who gets to be Garfunkel? We might need to fight over that. I'll be I have the hairline for either. <laughs> Here's Homeward Bound. Enjoy. Home, when my thoughts escaping. Home, when my music's playing. Home, when my love lies waiting silently for me. Silently.